0: Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning. Good morning. You guys are all awake. That's good. That's a good start. Um, my name is Sam. Uh, if we haven't met yet, I am the youth pastor here. Uh, I work alongside Matt Hempel, um, working with the middle school and high school, and then I also oversee our college ministry. And uh, So it's a pleasure for me to be up here and to take the next in our series, looking through Exodus. Uh, last week, Pastor Matt did a... 30,000-foot view of the plagues, right? He went through chapters 7 through 12, did a great job. If you missed it, I'd encourage you to check it out online, uh, covering those chapters. Well, today I'm, in a sense, kind of doing the opposite of this 30,000-foot. I'm going to be zooming way in. Uh, We're going to be looking at chapter 12, and really there's a couple of key themes in there that I want to focus on for the majority of our time this morning, And so if you have a Bible, I'd encourage you, pull it out, open up to Exodus chapter 12. Um, there will also be scripture on the screen if you didn't bring one uh, this morning. But let me pray, and then we'll jump right in. Lord Jesus, uh, I just ask right now that you uh, would be in this place. Holy Spirit, that you would open our eyes to see what you want us to see from your word. And I pray, God, that you would just help me uh, to decrease and you to increase. I pray that uh, it would not be me uh, and my words that people remember, but it would be you and your words. And so uh, as we dive into Exodus and other passages throughout Scripture today, I pray that uh, we'd be challenged and encouraged by what we see, that we would know you more and become more like you as we do. We pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. So we're going to jump right in Uh, Exodus 12, verses 1 uh, through 16, and then we'll jump down a few verses, but I'll let you know when we get there. So, starting in verse 1. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to the father's houses, a lamb for a household. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the house in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted, its head with its legs and inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until morning. Anything that remains until morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it with your belt fastened and your sandals on your feet and the staff in your hand. You shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night and I will strike all the firstborn of the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and, all, and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you and on the houses where you are. And when I see it, the blood, when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout the generations as a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven from your houses." For if anyone eats uh, what is leavened from the first day until the seventh, that person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day, you shall hold a holy assembly, and on the seventh day, a holy assembly. No work shall be done on those days. But what everyone needs to eat, that alone may be prepared by you. And now we're going to skip down to verse 28 and pick back up there. So, starting in verse 28. Then the people of Israel went and did so. As the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon and all the firstborn of the livestock. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt. For there was not a house or someone was not dead. Then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, Up, go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel, and go, serve the Lord as you have said. Take your flocks and your herds as you have said, and be gone, and bless me also. All right. So, I'm just going to stay up front There is more in this passage than I have time this morning to unpack, and I hope and pray that you guys will spend time on your own, maybe even later today, uh, just being in this passage even more. But there's a few things I want to focus on, and I want to start by kind of summarizing what did we just read, because again, that was a lot. So Passover. Um, First, each family chooses a lamb, and and so I uh, chose a lamb. All right, so... This lamb is for my family. Isn't it cute? Um, So each family chooses a lamb. That lamb then lives with the family for five days. And then on the fifth day, uh, they are all to kill the lamb and put blood on the doorposts. Then they eat this meal that's prepared quickly. Um, There's no yeast in the bread. So, two ways that we know that they they eat it quickly one, no yeast. Uh, So, I'm not a baker but I have watched the Great British Breaking Show. And so when you put yeast in something, right, and then you prove it, like it rises, and that takes time, and God's like, no, you don't have time. So, no yeast in the bread, that's one. But also, do you notice that they're supposed to eat it a certain way with their belts on and their shoes on their feet, and they got a staff in their hand? How many of you, like when getting ready for like a, a nice Feast, like a Christmas dinner. How many of you are like, well, i got to make sure that my shoes are tied. i got my coat on. i got my keys in my pocket. Like, ready to go, right? Like, that's not normally how we eat. But God says, we're eating this in haste. It's the Lord's Passover. You have to be ready because you're going to be leaving Egypt pretty soon. Um, and they're called to stay inside their homes as God's uh, last plague passes through Egypt. And again, like I just mentioned, they must be ready to leave, to follow Moses into promised land. So that's a real quick synopsis of what we just read. Um, So Passover. There's a lot there, and there's a lot that we could go into and a lot we could spend time on, but today I want to start by focusing in on the lamb. Um, So why is the lamb important? Why does the lamb matter? See, in verse... 5 of chapter 12, it says, Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old, and you can take it from the sheep or the goats. You ever ask this question, why does God care about the lamb? And, and he's so particular about it, like a year old, and it needs to be without blemishes, without spots. Why does God care about that? Why not, here, just make it obvious, a second lamb. <laughs> All right, so, this one, for those of you in the back, maybe you can't see, it's missing a leg. Um, it's dirty. It has spots. Um, so why does God care? They're going to eat it. I bet they both taste the same. They're, they're going to use the blood. I bet that it would work right. I mean, like, who? why does it matter which, if the lamb is spotted or deformed or whatever, why, why does that matter? You ever ask that question? You ever at, wonder why God spends chapter after chapter in the Old Testament telling the people how to build the temple. It's like, man, you're spending a ton of time on all the specifics of how to build the temple. Like, why? There's some things in Scripture that seem like God's a little bit too particular here. But there's a reason. And, and, and there's two reasons why I think God cares. Because it, it's not just, this isn't the only passage that talks about um, making sure that it's a spotless lamb. In fact, the people start, at one point, they, they start to offer lambs that look more like this. And God gets angry. He calls them out on it. So why does God care? Well, two, two reasons. Uh, the first is, this is called to be a sacrifice. And when we start giving things like this, it's not really our First fruits, something of value, something that's, that's a sacrifice to us. It's, it's more like leftovers. God just gets what we really don't want anyway. But if we take what is best, that's a sacrifice to give God first, to give God our best. But I don't think that's the main reason. I think that the main reason that God cares is that it's supposed to point to something greater. The temple, why does it matter that we have all these chapters about and all these verses telling us how to build the temple? Why? Because the temple points us to heaven. It points to something greater. Why should we care about the lamb being spotless? Because the lamb points us to something greater. You stay right there. Jesus is called the Lamb of God and we see right away Jesus when he's about to start his ministry he's going to John the Baptist to be baptized and what does John say he says behold the lamb of god who takes away the sin of the world it's the first thing first thing said of Jesus as he's entering in to his earthly ministry behold the lamb of god who takes away the sin of the world like it seems like it matters this Lamb of God. Jesus, as we're going to see in a second here, is the Lamb of God. So First Peter uh, says, Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, that of a Lamb without blemish or spot. So why why does it matter? We're going to dive deeply into this, but why does it matter? Because Jesus is not a lamb with blemish and spot. He is a pure, spotless lamb, and it matters that we get the image right, so that we see Christ for who he is and what God is doing. But I might be getting a little bit ahead of myself. Um, So, Substitutionary atonement—that's my—that's our big theology word for the morning. Um, Substitutionary atonement, which, if you were to break it down, a substitute to atone for sins. Um, I wanted to bring this up because I feel like this passage helps us to understand the answer to a question that maybe many of us have asked, or you've had somebody ask you: How can God be both just and gracious, just and forgiving? right so imagine uh, a judge who has a murderer come before him a just judge and one one that we would trust would give that murderer what he deserves a punishment deserving of someone who's murdered someone a just judge does not just merely forgive oh murderer well i forgive you you may go that's not just god is just and so he punishes sin he is holy all sin is punished. That's what it means to be just. And yet, God is gracious. He forgives sinners. How is it possible for God to do both? You ever wrestle with that? Or had somebody ask you something like that? Well, that's why this uh, time this morning is so important. Jesus died in our place as a sacrifice for sin so that our sin is fully punished and we are reconciled in relationship with God. I want to look at Romans 3. Um, many of us know 3.23, but I want to look at the verses surrounding it as well. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction for All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as the propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness At the present time, so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Again, I know that that was kind of a jam-packed couple of verses, but what does it say? It's saying that for those who have faith in Jesus, who say that my life is found in Christ alone, He is my Lord, He is my Savior. That for those, God is both just and the justifier. He Justifies, He gives us freely his righteousness because Jesus paid the punishment. And so God is both just in punishing sin and he is gracious and forgiving for the sinner who puts his faith in Christ. There's a pastor uh, by the name Skip Heitzig, and I just really like this quote. The whole crux of the matter is the blood of Jesus Christ. We have been justified by his blood. We are not justified by his birth. We are not justified by his teachings. And we are not justified by his exemplary life. We are justified by his blood that was shed. Why do we spend so much time talking about the blood of Jesus? I think sometimes... uh, Somebody who's outside of the church. If you've grown up in the church, you might not think about the fact that we talk about the cross, the death of Jesus, and blood that's poured out, and blood that's put uh, all throughout the Old Testament, blood everywhere. It seems like a very gory and, and odd religion, doesn't it? Why do we talk about blood so much? Let's talk about nice things. And yet, we need to, because we are not saved because Jesus was a good teacher. We're not saved because Jesus had a miraculous birth or that he lived a perfect life. We are saved because Jesus, who had a miraculous birth and lived a perfect life and gave great teachings, died for you in your place. That's where our salvation is found. It's found in the cross, a death that was died by a substitute instead of me. Hebrews 9. I really could have read this entire chapter and I would encourage you to do so, but I'm just going to pick out a couple of the verses. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. I'm just going to stop there for a second. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. God does not He's not like the judge who just says, forgiven. That's not how our faith works. We have a just God who deals with sin. And he deals with it in the severity that it deserves, with the punishment that he said it is owed. Death. Your sin has a wage in, in earnings, which is Death. You, I, we deserve death. And somebody has to pay. And it could be you. If you would rather do life on your own, on your own terms, then you can pay for your sin. Or you can fall at the feet of the one who loved you enough to take your place. That's the gospel. That's what Jesus has done for us. Ephesians 1, 7, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. I don't know if you're a Bible memorizer, but this is a great verse to have memorized. Like, what what a rich verse. In him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our sins, our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, is for it is by grace that we have been saved through faith, not of our works. Romans 6, I just mentioned this a second ago, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, only found in Jesus. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. I I know many of us know this verse, but do we ever just kind of stop and really think about it? That we all deserve to perish, not to have eternal life. But God so loved that he gave. Didn't give Jesus just to live a perfect life, just to be a good teacher, but to die. This is the core. And if we miss this, then we're going to miss everything about what the Christian faith is all about. We have to understand that it is by the blood of Christ. Which brings us back to Exodus 12, because this is a series in Exodus, so we'll go back to Exodus 12. The blood was a sign to the people and before God that the punishment of death had been covered in that house. So don't miss this. In Exodus, the punishment, this plague that's coming, it's not just for the Egyptians. It is for the people in the land. There is a penalty, a plague, and death is coming to every household. But... God makes a way. And He gives them one way. Could choose to follow His way and take a lamb. Bring it into your home, take its blood, and put it on your house. And when God sees the blood on the house, it is a sign that death has already happened in that house. There's it is already, the punishment has been paid. And so, the penalty of death passes over that house. And for any who did not take refuge from the blood of a lamb, they will experience the the full weight of the penalty of death. And so, in the same way, God looks at the cross And he sees that the full weight, the full penalty of his punishment of death has been fully satisfied. That the death has occurred, and for all who find refuge under the blood of Christ, they do not have to suffer from that penalty. It can pass over them. And instead of us taking on death, Jesus, he who knew no sin, became sin so that our sin could be fully punished and yet we could live. But there's a, a big difference between the lambs that we see in Exodus and the Lamb of God. And that is that Jesus, he doesn't remain slain. Three days later, Jesus rose from the grave, defeating sin and death and gives us life because he is victorious. And so, Revelation 5, if it's been a while since you've read in Revelation 5, I'd encourage you, read it again. This is a, a glimpse into the throne room of heaven and we see Revelation 5, verse 11. It says, Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels numbering myriads and myriads of thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who is slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. If you have given your life to Jesus, he is your Lord, he is your Savior, this is a future reality that there will come a day that we'll stand before the throne and we will say, Worthy is the Lamb who is slain. Why? Because it is only because the Lamb was slain that I get to stand in the throne room at all. Worthy is the Lamb who paid my debt. And he is worthy of all power and all wealth and all wisdom and all might and all honor and all glory, all blessing, everything. He is worth everything. Because he gave everything. He is worth everything. And he'll be praised forever. Because he's he is deserving. I want to end with two thoughts. First, God is faithful to his promises. In Exodus, we've been looking at this promise that God is going to free his people out of Egypt. He tells Moses that, that he is going to lead the people out of slavery and bondage in Egypt into the promised land. And spoiler alert, what we just saw in chapter 12 is the beginning of this exodus out of Egypt. So you have to come back next week to see how it continues. But God is faithful to his promises to bring the people out of slavery and bondage into to the promised land. And God is faithful to his promises. When in Genesis, we see mankind falls to sin. Sin enters the picture. And what does God do immediately? In verse 15, we see that God gives us our first promise, that a Messiah is coming. He says that that there will be one who's going to have his heel bruised, but he will crush the head of the serpent and God is faithful to his promises. And so throughout the Old Testament, we see prophecies and promises coming, that one is coming, and we hear more and more about who this Messiah is. And then there came a day when Jesus walks into Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. And for five days, Jesus was among the people teaching. And then... On the fifth day, he sat down to celebrate Passover with his disciples. And he took unleavened bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. He took a cup and he said, this is my blood. It's a new covenant in his blood. has been poured out for you. Jesus steps in to fulfill this Passover lamb. Which brings me to my last point, which is that God calls us to remember. He is faithful to his promises and he calls us to remember who he is and what he's done. He told the people not to forget in Exodus twelve fourteen, This day shall be for you a memorial day. You shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations, as a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. God doesn't want the people to forget, not just what He did that day to bring them out of slavery, but so that they wouldn't miss when Jesus came to take them out of the slavery of sin and death and to bring them into newness of life eternal we shouldn't miss it either and jesus in fulfilling this gives us a a way to remember and says to keep this and so every time we do the lord's supper or communion we are remembering what god has done what jesus did for us And so I'm going to invite the worship team to come out as we go into a time of doing just that. We're now going to celebrate communion. And as we do, a couple of things. First, if there's anything between you and the Lord right now, take time to confess, for he is faithful to forgive all sin and all unrighteousness. If we confess our sins, so confess. And then, uh, practically speaking, there are four tables, two in the front and two in the back. So during the song, you can come out and go down the aisles and, and take some bread and a cup and return back to your seats. We'll take it together. But one more encouragement. I just want to encourage you while the song is playing, while you're worshiping, to look at that piece of bread that's already been broken for you and the cup, and I want you just to, to see it for, what it for what it is, the reminder that Jesus' body was broken for you and his blood was poured out for you. And so I hope that uh, you'll take that moment to look and be reminded and to thank him. Let's do that together now.